So this is uh, Lesson 25 of Galatians. And we are nearing the end of Chapter 5. And because it's such familiar ground, there's little to no dispute on the meaning. We can really finish up Chapter 5 today. The fact is, we should be done with the whole thing in two more weeks. Because Chapter 6 is relatively simple as well. But what we've found so far in the book of Galatians is that there's a problem that the problem here is either the Jewish believers or maybe the proselytes to Judaism are trying to get God-fearing, believing non-Jews to fully convert to Jewish law. They're trying to persuade them to be circumcised, which is really a shorthand way of saying becoming a proselyte in the manner that was prescribed by the rabbis and sages. And this process would be that it would would entail that a Gentile uh, first learn the laws of God, but not just the laws of God, but all the subsequent rulings of the rabbis that were to be obeyed with equal reverence. All those additions regarding the keeping of the law. They would vow to live by those things as a Jewish person would live. Then they would be circumcised. They would go to the temple and offer a burnt offering. And this process would make them part of Israel under the under Jewish law. And I emphasize Jewish law because it's not found in God's law. So the influencers see becoming part of the nation of Israel in the traditional process as an essential part of salvation and securing a place in the world to come. Paul's position and that of scriptures, of course, is that not is that is not necessary because he sees these non-Jews coming to faith in the God of Israel through the Messiah Yeshua as the fulfillment of the promise given to Abraham. And we find it in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 16. It says, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and you have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your seed, all nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. You see, Paul sees that God promised that all nations of the earth would be blessed. And when he says all, he means all. Israel and all the other nations will be blessed through the Messiah Yeshua, who is the seed of Abraham. And they will be blessed in the same way as Abraham. And that's through faith in the promises of God. Paul sees non-Jews coming to faith in the God of Abraham and this outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the non-Jews through faith in Messiah Yeshua as visible evidence of the promise of God to Abraham being fulfilled. And so Paul says to the non-Jews, stay as you are. You're not to become proselytes. You're not to keep the laws of Jew, but you are saved through faith and it doesn't get any better than that. You do not have to keep the law as a Jew because God in his law is quite specific as to what was required of different peoples. As an example, what was required of the priest and the Jewish person was not the same. 
in the same way, he's quite specific what was required of a Jewish person and a non-Jewish person. And they weren't the same. And so Paul says, do just what's required of you. Now, the end of chapter 5 is going to prove quite interesting because chapter 5 and 6 really do away with the notion that the law in some way has been abolished in the life of a believer or in some way abrogated by Yeshua's coming. And let me show you what I mean before we get into the actual text itself. We'll just read verse 18. And it says, but if you are led by the spirit, you're not under law. And this verse over the centuries has been taken to mean that if we're led by the spirit, we no longer have to obey the commands of the Torah or the law. Because we Christians are led by the spirit. We only need to heed the New Testament. The spirit has replaced the law. And so we're good to go. And we can just go out and we can live our lives as we see fit because we're good to go. However, that's not a possible meaning. Because in chapter 6, he goes on to say this. Brothers, if someone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself that you or you may also be tempted You see, the problem here is if we accept this traditional interpretation, if we accept that, then we have to consider Paul double-minded. Because how can the law be applicable, not applicable to us, and yet we still sin? That's impossible. Because John tells us what sin is in 1 John 3, 4. He says, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. So if sin is transgression of the law, and it is, then how can the law be no longer applicable and you still sin? That's a head scratcher, right? You see, what I'm trying to say is this. Our traditional understanding of verse 18 is not possible. So let's try and look at this in a different light. Let's start with verse 16. And he says this. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. You see, Paul is telling us that there's a struggle within us. It goes on within us on a daily basis. Every waking moment, there's a battle going on within us for our actions. Or in a Hebrew way of saying it, for our walks, our footsteps through life. And the battle is simple. Will our walk today gratify our flesh? Or will we walk according to God's instructions by following the leading of the Spirit? Which will we do? That's the struggle. And this struggle is something that he explains much more fully in Romans chapter 7, if you remember when we covered Romans. He says this in chapter 7, verse 14. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do, And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. 
As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it's sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work Within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And that is of course. Yeshua. But notice what he says. The law is spiritual. So it stands. If the spirit is leading us. In spiritual ways. It will lead us in the paths. That are outlined by the law. Because it is spiritual. Amen? Amen. Since Paul says, I am unspiritual, the spirit will lead you in paths away from your desires and in the way of the law, which is spiritual. See? So the point here is, there's a struggle going on within each of us. And yes, it goes in within followers of Yeshua as well. Does the struggle make the law bad or obsolete because we disobey? No, as Paul said, the law is spiritual. And he says, I agree that the law is good. Elsewhere, he says, the law is holy, righteous, and good. The law merely identifies the struggle and tells us when we failed in our struggle. That's why Paul said earlier in Romans chapter 7, verse 7, he says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. So the law helps us identify sin, which is our failure to walk by God's instructions through the leading of the spirit. The law identifies the works of the flesh. You see, Paul is actually saying that if you walk by the spirit, The spirit will keep you walking within or above the requirements of the law. So that you won't come under the condemnation of the law, which is death. You only come under the condemnation of the law when you fail to keep the commands or transgress the commands. And the leading of the spirit keeps your walk within the commands of God or above the commands of God. It keeps your walk in concert with those commands or above those commands as Yeshua walked through life above the commands. And he taught us how to live a life above the commands. That's why he said, you have heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say to you, do not even look at another woman. Right? He's teaching us to walk above the commands of God. The problem for us in the struggle of walking by the Spirit or failing to walk by the Spirit and walking in the flesh, the flesh, what the flesh wants is contrary to the Spirit. And because the law is spiritual, the flesh is also contrary 
to the law. The Spirit is not opposed to the law. Not at all. The Spirit is opposed to our flesh. And it's transgressions of the law. As Paul said, the law is spiritual, but I'm not spiritual. That means if we want to be spiritual, we need the Spirit and the law. Amen? So Paul speaks of the solution to the struggle within us. And the solution is to walk by the Spirit. The law is spiritual and the Spirit, of course, is spiritual and they work in concert together to keep your walk through life spiritual. And those who are reborn and thereby in Messiah Yeshua are able to now walk by the Spirit. Yeshua secured for us, each of us, the power of the Spirit to walk through life by living a life that's pleasing to God. And let me say, without rebirth, without the rebirth that Yeshua offers us, you are doomed to struggle and lose. That's why Paul says, for what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. If, however, you're led by the Spirit, you will have victory over this struggle and over your flesh. As Paul explains, if we look at the next chapter of Romans, he says this in chapter 8. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Messiah Yeshua. Because through Yeshua, the law of the Spirit, Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by my sinful nature. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering so that he condemned sin in sinful man in order to make the righteous requirements of the law be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Paul says, what the law could not do because it was weakened by me, by our flesh, the Spirit, in concert with the law, can do. The law is spiritual, but before Yeshua, the law relied on the flesh to carry it out. And as Paul said, that's not possible. The Spirit has given us the power to overcome the flesh and now live for God. So the Spirit has set us free from the condemnation of the law, as Paul puts it, the law of sin and death. Death is the penalty of the law. The Spirit gives those who are in Messiah the power to meet the righteous requirements of the law so they're not under the condemnation of the law any longer. Does that mean the law has been abrogated or that we no longer, we, we can now ignore its precepts? God forbid, as Paul would say. It means, Paul said, the leading of the Spirit will aid you in your struggle and give you victory over your flesh. So he says in verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under law. So if you're led by the Spirit, you'll not come under the condemnation of the law. If you're led by the Spirit, you will not sin and come under the penalty for sin, which is death. The Spirit 
Working with the law will keep your feet on the narrow path. And Paul tells us now how we can understand, how we can see someone who's led by the Spirit and someone who's not led by the Spirit but operating by the flesh. And he starts with the flesh in verse 19. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now I'm going to ask you something. Where on earth did Paul get the idea that sexual immorality... Impurity and debauchery are all sin. Well, you might want to go down to Leviticus chapter 18 and verse through 20 and start to read and you'll find out why they're sin. Where on earth did he get the idea that idolatry and witchcraft were sin? Well, again, you might want to go down to Leviticus chapter 19 verse and chapter 26 and Deuteronomy 18 and you'll find out why they're sin. How about hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, those things that we do against our brother? Again, try Leviticus 19. They're listed there. And it was also quoted by Yeshua that the second most command was to love your neighbor as yourself. Also there. And finally, where would he get the idea that drunkenness, orgies, and the like? Again, read Leviticus 19. You see, Paul's acts of the flesh are all violations of God's law. He makes it just as clear in the book of Corinthians. He says in chapter 6, verse 19, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And so where does Paul get all these things? Again, they're violations of the law of God. So how can Paul in one breath say the law is no longer valid in the life of a Gentile believer and in the next breath, do not do these things because they're violations of the Torah? Right? How in one breath can he say the law is spiritual and the next breath say the spirit replaces the law? The point is he can't. So those are the acts of the flesh. Now, in contrast to that, he's going to give us the what happens if we're led by the spirit. And he says this, but the fruit of the spirit. Is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. Where on earth will Paul get these things? And again, we only have to look at what we've considered obsolete. Let us reason together for a moment, right? If you're following the leading of the Spirit of God, then who do you suppose your behavior would begin to resemble? Well, we know that Yeshua followed the leading of the Spirit of God. It descended upon him like a dove when he was immersed in the Jordan. So we could say Yeshua, right? It would certainly make sense because if we read the accounts of his life in the, in the Gospels, he certainly displays those attributes. Let's continue to reason together again. Because if that is true, then whose life, whose life did Yeshua's life emulate? Well, he told us, he said, if you see me, you've seen the Father. So we can assume that the Spirit will lead you in the paths 
of Yeshua and the Father. And that you will emulate the Father as did Yeshua if you're following the Spirit. It's a no-brainer, right? Really? So where did Paul get these things? Well, God tells us what his attributes are in in Exodus chapter 34. He says this, beginning with verse 5. He tells us who he is. These are the attributes of God. The Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiven, forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished, but he punishes the children and their children for the sin of their fathers until the third and fourth generation. So Paul tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love and God tells us that he's abounding in love. Paul tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness and God tells us he's abounding in faithfulness. Paul tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is patience, gentleness, self-control and God tells us he's compassionate, gracious God, slow to anger. He's patient. There's no doubt that Paul took the acts of the flesh and his attributes of the Spirit from what God had revealed in his Torah. And Paul says, against these attributes of the Spirit, these attributes of the leading of the Spirit, there is no law. Well, that's a da moment, isn't it? Think about it. Those things are what the Spirit of God, working in concert with the law, is trying to instill in each of us. Of course there's no law against those things. The law tells you where your actions fall below God's righteous standards. But if you walk by the Spirit, the Spirit keeps you walking above those righteous standards and you never come under the condemnation of the law. So no, you don't ignore the law. You follow its precepts, those which apply to you by the leading of the Spirit. For Paul... Life is all about the leading of the Spirit and salvation through Messiah Yeshua. And he, so he says this in verse 24. He says, those who belong to Messiah Yeshua have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. So those who belong to Messiah Yeshua, or another way of saying those who are in Messiah like Messiah, have crucified the law with its passions and desires, right? Wrong. The law has no passions. It has no desires. It is what it is. The Messiah didn't crucify the law. He walked through life by the law and put his flesh, his passions and desires daily to death. He did that by keeping the Father's law perfectly through the leading of the Father's Spirit So the death he died was not for his transgressions of the law, but it was for our transgressions of the law. And then he rose to life to the glory he had with the Father before the world began so that through him and in Messiah, we might be restored to life as well as it was with Adam before sin entered the world. So... That we, like he, might put to death the deeds of the flesh and walk by the Spirit. So that we might end this conflict within us. And for all 
that we might once again walk with God. This because God is the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. And so God has poured out this amazing grace upon us. And Paul tells us this in Romans chapter 6. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning, which is transgressing the law, so that we may, so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin, transgression of the law. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Messiah Yeshua were baptized into his death? We therefore have been buried with him through baptism into his death in order that just as Messiah was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. All so that we may live a new life by God's Spirit, a life free from transgression of God's law to walking through life by the leading of the Spirit with a walk that rises above the requirements of the law, free from condemnation. And notice Paul, he doesn't just say, uh, put to death. He doesn't say, no longer live. But he says, what did he say? Crucify, right? Crucify. You know, when we hear that word, it doesn't bring the same meaning to mind as it did to the Galatians. And you know why? Because the Galatians knew the full extent of the word. They had seen men crucified. The utter brutality of crucifixion. They had seen men tied to the execution stake, struggling to cling to life for days until they no longer had any strength left and they died from suffocation. You see, you died after days of hanging on the stake from suffocation. The stake would leave you hanging from your arms and your chest. And you'd find it difficult to breathe. And so to relieve the stress, you'd raise yourself up by digging your heel into the stake so that you could breathe. Then you'd slump back down. Well, after a few days, you just didn't have the strength to raise yourself up anymore and you slumped one more dime and you suffocated. That's how you died. How could Paul take something so brutal and put it in such a positive light? How could he take something so brutal and tell us that we as believers should treat something with such brutality? Because that's exactly what he's saying and it's exactly how we must deal with our flesh. He hits it right on the nose. What he's saying, what he's telling us is that we must, must with the same brutality, we must deal with our flesh. Our sin nature is a powerful force in our lives and we must subdue it by hanging it on a stake and leaving it there and let it become weakened until it has no strength left in our lives and it's finally put to death. And not just that, the Romans left the bodies on the stakes for days for all to see what happened to those who transgressed Roman law so that it would be a lesson for all in the same way 
The death of our flesh and our new walk that we have received is to be for all to see how severely we must deal with sin and how good life with God is. And so he ends with verses 25 and 26. And some think that this might be the beginning of a new statement, but what it really is, what it definitely is, and what it definitely does is give everybody in Galatia a encouraging but firm slap on the backside. Because he says this, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. You see, he actually sums up his argument here against conversion with these words, covering exactly what's going on in Galatia. To the Jewish brothers and the proselytes who are pressuring these non-Jews to become proselytes as well. He says, don't you be conceited. God said all nations will be blessed through Abraham. We all need Messiah. We all need the Spirit of God to lead us. Jews and non-Jews. We all put our pants on the same way. And those pants need to be Messiah Yeshua. Non-Jews do not have to become proselytes because it will add nothing, not one thing, to your walk with God. It will add nothing, can add nothing to what Yeshua has done. And so he says, stop provoking as you have nothing to be conceited about. Because again, Paul sees non-Jews converting and disappearing into the Israel and disappearing into the Jewish people as counterproductive because it hides what God is doing in the world. That he's blessing all the nations of the world, not just Israel. You know, Paul said it much plainer to the Corinthians. He must be like me. You know, when I first started preaching, I couldn't get points across quite as good as I can now. I've learned how to get them across a little better. Well, I think Paul must have done the same thing because when he writes the letter to the Corinthians, he has a much better way of explaining things. He just says this, just as plain as can be in chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, verse 17. He says, Nevertheless, each one should retain the place in life that the Lord assigned him to, to which God has called him. This is the rule I laid out to all churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? Then he should not become circumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not become circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. What counts is keeping the commands of God. You see, for Paul, your ethnicity or whether you are part of the nation of Israel through circumcision of the flesh, counted for nothing. It counts for nothing because we all need Messiah Yeshua. Because the God of Abraham said, through your seed, Abraham, who is the Messiah Yeshua, all nations of the earth will be blessed. Not just those of the nation of Israel, but all nations will be blessed. So remain as you are. Keep the commands of God that apply to you because that's what counts. Amen? Let's bring the team back up.